So the first year I did a hundred thousand dollars in sales. Wow. Unbelievable. No paid ads. Okay. This is how much timing was on my side and how much, you know, I was doing guerrilla marketing. I literally would go onto YouTube and I would write all these comments on hair extension videos. And I'm like, Oh my God, great video. You should try out glam seamless hair extensions. Oh, that's genius. I would go onto Reddit forums talking about thin hair. And I'm like, yeah, here's how you solve that thin hair. And by the way, check out glam seamless. And so I was my own little guerrilla marketing, you know, that's a free marketing tactic. Welcome to the glam and grow podcast. I'm your host, Takara Suet, Head of Partnerships at Wavebreak. On this show, we talk with leaders of beauty, fashion, and lifestyle brands. We dive into their stories, lessons learned, and perspectives on how the industry is ever-evolving. Subscribe and join us each week as we glam and grow. Joining me today on the show is Alexandra Kristen, founder and CEO of Glam Seamless. Thank you so much for coming on today. So excited to be here. Thank you. I'm so excited. This finally worked out. (laughs) (laughs) Audio issues, you know how it goes. So before we dive into the brand, I would love to hear your journey and how you ended up here. The year dates back to 1989. When I was born, I was born to a single mother, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. She was 21 when she had me. And it was, you know, crazy. I was born to this brilliant woman who wasn't given a lot of resources in life. Mm -hmm. And so that's where life started for me. After nine years, I got this amazing opportunity to go to this boarding school for children in poverty. And it was a once in a lifetime opportunity, which allowed me to somewhat escape poverty. They give you education. They give you everything you need to know to succeed, finance, health, everything you can think of. So, you know, my life changed at that moment. And then at 18, I moved to New York. I wanted to be a plus size model while also pursuing my college degree because my boarding school paid for college. So, you know, that's kind of what my story is in terms of how we got here. Through that journey, a couple things happened. First and foremost, you know, I grew up without a lot of things. So I learned how to be extremely resourceful as well as grateful for what I had. I also grew up plus size, right? I was never the skinniest in the room. And so for me, thank you. But like back in the day, you know, it was Christina Aguilera and Britney Spears. You didn't have the Kardashians and Lizzo, right? So these were our icons of the time and, you know, low rise jeans and skinny hips were in and big girls were not at the time. And so for me, I have this journey of confidence building, you know, I was born with this, all the women in my family are bigger. And I'm like, you know what, this is me like serenity prayer, learn to, you know, accept the things you cannot change change what you can change. You know, that's not the exact prayer, but, um, (laughs) but yeah. So that's how I got here. You know, I have this journey of, you know, really needing to be resourceful and wanting more for my life while also having this journey of being plus size my whole life since a child and really needing to navigate that, like showing up to a room and loving myself and being my best self. And so that led me to honestly wearing hair extensions. I have super fine genetic thin hair and I've always worn extensions since the age of 14. 
And, you know, for me, the extensions were like a confidence booster. Of course, you weren't supposed to wear makeup to school, but I'm like, oh, hair extensions. No one will know I'm wearing these. <laughs> um, so that was my little way of like breaking the rule. And I just became obsessed with transformation. Um, you know, transformation for me is everything because I think it's like life is a journey. So I don't want to ramble too much, but that's how we got here. That's how I started my hair extension company, you know, just through my background of wanting more in life and just loving the journey of transformation and confidence. Yeah. And I mean, and you've built one of the biggest, if not the biggest hair extension company on the market. So going back to school, so you went to the Milton Hershey school, correct? Yes. So you must've become like the poster child for success from the school. I guess there's a few good successful people from that school. So, you know, I'm not the only one, but the school definitely is something that changed my life. And it's part of the reason why I myself now have a nonprofit foundation for young women that are coming from an economic disadvantage, because I think that, you know, life is all about opportunity. And then it's also what you do with that opportunity. So yeah, the school changed my life. And it's just a beautiful school. It still obviously is exists today. It's in the U.S. Anyone in the U.S. who is in poverty level or below can send their children there. And I definitely would suggest anyone listening to this, if you know someone, to check out the Milton Hershey School. Yeah. And I definitely want to dive into talking about your foundation a little bit later in this conversation. But yeah, I mean, they must have been so proud of you. And it's so wonderful that somebody got an opportunity like this, because there's probably so many people who would be capable of so many things that just didn't have the resources to really reach their full potential. So it's an amazing story. So let's go back to the beginning of the brand. So you finished college. I believe that's around the time. So when did you start the brand? How did you do it? Essentially, I would imagine funding was probably quite challenging in the beginning and you were pretty scrappy, but resourceful. Were there days where you just like, I can't do this? Or what was the beginning like? It's really funny. So I started Glam Seamless in 2012 out of my two bedroom apartment in New Jersey. And prior to that, I just graduated college one year ago, I had student debt, because I decided to take out some extra loans to fund my summers. And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do for work. It was right after the 2008 crash where, you know, the economy was coming down. The job market was extremely competitive. I was in New York City, where obviously there's millions of people competing for the same jobs. And when I was going on these corporate interviews, I just felt sick to my stomach. Like, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't do this. Like, even if I, one job, I got like three interviews for this big advertising agency. And I'm like, I was feeling sick. And so what I decided to do at that moment was trust my tuition. I said, you know what? I'm not taking this job. I'm going to really capitalize off this gig economy. I'm going to work as a nanny because that pays me cash every single week. And then I'm going to figure out a business. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to start my own business because me going to work for a corporation every day, it's just not going to work. So for me, I think how I really came to that moment of starting Glam Seamless was first trusting myself and my intuition and leveraging the gig economy. So it was about a year that I was nannying and I thought of so many different business ideas. Like I wanted to have a beauty subscription box, but I was like, I definitely don't have the money or the resources for that. I wanted to do eyelashes and sell eyelashes. I'm like, well, I'm not good with my hands. And I'm like, you know what? Like I freaking love extensions. I was on YouTube and I was watching this couple talk about how they have this extension company and they're doing so well and they're traveling to Italy. And I said, 
these people don't know anything about extensions. Like I've got to get into this game. And so it definitely was like right product at the right time with my intuition as well as my passion. And I just started it. You know, you asked me about funding and what did it feel like? And were there days that I just felt like I couldn't go on? I didn't have high expectations. I just created a list of like, all right, I'm starting this business, hair extensions online. I decided to start with a specific type of extension, tape extensions, because no one was selling that product online. So I think that was the key too. There was already like probably 30 clip-in extension companies online. And I decided, you know what? The internet doesn't need that. They need this. They need this tape-in extension company. And I literally started it with $1,500. I went on to Alibaba. I bought 20 packs of hair. I went to my local staples and I made my own stickers to stick those on the clear packaging. And then I started a Shopify website for $200. And then I think I made a YouTube video about like, hey guys, let me just tell you the best type of extensions for thin hair. And it started like that, you know? So that's amazing. It was crazy when I think about it, but I was having fun. I was doing it as a passion project. And I was like, if I can make $2,000 a month from this, like this will be great. So that was my goal when I first started. I'm like, this is my side hustle. I kept working my nanny job. And I was like, you know, I just want to make a couple thousand dollars a month. So I just kept month over month. I didn't have this, like, I want to create this multi-million dollar empire. And I wanted to get acquired and all these other things, which is everything that happened. And now you did, (laughs) but I never had that vision. You know, I just had like, I knew that the market needed this. I knew that I was passionate about it. And I knew that every day I just had to do a little something. I had to chip at it every single day. Didn't have any funding at all. No co-founders, no investors. I think two years in, I went to my grandparents and was like, can I borrow $5,000 for more hair and I'll pay you back 10%. Um, So that was like two years in, but I definitely did it on my own without anyone. And it was started as a passion project. And because it was so fun to me and I picked a product that I'm passionate about, it never felt like, oh my gosh, I can't go on anymore. You know, it never felt like that. It just felt like this is fun. I got to work on my little business today. And that's how I knew that I was in like the right product and the right path. And when was the inflection point of when you realized it was more than just a passion project and you were really on your way to building a hair empire? So the first year I did a hundred thousand dollars in sales. Wow. Unbelievable. No paid ads. Okay. This is how much timing was on my side and how much, you know, I was doing guerrilla marketing. I literally would go onto YouTube and I would write all these comments on hair extension videos. And I'm like, Oh my God, great video. You should try out glam seamless hair extensions. Oh, that's genius. I would go onto Reddit forums talking about thin hair. And I'm like, yeah, here's how you solve that thin hair. And by the way, check out glam seamless. And so I was my own little guerrilla marketing, you know, that's a free marketing tactic. Yeah. And then I started writing blogs. Like I literally myself, and I'm not a great writer. I didn't go to school for writing. I'm like, all types of hair extension advice, I started writing about it. That brought me free traffic to my website. And next I know the traffic numbers were growing just because I kept writing useful information. And of course, at the end of that blog, I would then go in and be like, and definitely check out these Glam Seamless extensions. But I really was educating the customer and coming from a place of experience and passion. And then people just started converting. They were buying and, you know, it was a product that I wore myself. And so yeah. I like the quality, people like the quality and the price was unbeatable. 
And, and that's really what helped us take off. So the inflection point really was, I'd say 18 months in because the second year we did half a million dollars in sales. And, and when I say we, it was just me. My mom joined me in my second year as my first employee. She's like, I think you need help with this little small business. Like, should I quit my job and help you? <laughs> You're like, um, yes. <laughs> I'm running it out of my apartment. When we reached you know, $500,000 in the second year, I knew for sure I quit my nanny job. I used to be a plus size model on the side. And I'm like, you know what, like, I'm focusing on this business, there's such an ROI here, and there's so much to do. And that was the moment I think when the sales become consistent, and you have your groove of like, all right, these orders are coming in, people are giving you feedback on the product. And it's consistent. At that point, you know that you're going to that next level. And then talk to me about the process, I would imagine, of improving the product or sourcing like better quality extensions. Because the extension industry is very interesting. And and like you talked about earlier, so expensive and unattainable for a lot of people. I mean, it's like thousands of dollars if you were to go into a salon. So this is just such an easier and affordable way. But of course, like now you're known for having such great quality. So what did the process of looking like sourcing hair, how did the process change? Well, I'll say this. Luckily, I knew good hair from fake hair. I've been wearing extensions, like I said, since 14. So I already had a decade at this point of hair experience. Before I even decided on a vendor, I went to Alibaba and I tried out 25 different vendors before I decided, yep, this is the one I'm selling. This is the one I'm buying a $500 worth of product from. So I think that is the most important part of product sourcing is just knowing the importance of how to work with manufacturers, how to find them and vet them. Cause there are a lot of them on Alibaba and some of them are trading companies. Some of them aren't even real companies at all. So you have to be very careful. But for me, with my experience in the hair extensions, I tried out 25 different samples and I'm like, okay, this is the best one. This one wore the best. It's the thickest. It's, it's something that can be used over and over. And I think that's to me, what was important. I was willing to pay more at cost for the product to make sure it was the best and not pass that off to customers where my competitors, they were charging, you know, double, triple what I was, I was giving them that same quality for a great price. So quality has always been number one, because it's hair and it's so intimate and it's so personal that it's not like a belt, right? Or it's not like a a journal. It's like a $2 thing. Like it's something that's very, very sensitive to people. And we've always prioritized quality first. Honestly, it could totally change your entire life from a confidence standpoint. So it's like, yeah, and it will change. Yeah. I mean, how you look in general just helps you, of course, like, you know, it makes you feel better. It makes you look better. You carry yourself different. You have a different energy. And so when you walk into rooms or situations, you know, that shines through. And I think it's so important. Like if I did not have my hair extensions in right now, I'd be like, oh my God, like I can't even do this right now. You know, so I I feel like, you know, fake it till you make it and, you know, get in where you fit in. And, and, you know, if you have thin hair, then who cares if you have bad eyelashes, whatever it is, I think getting to a place of confidence will really help you succeed in whatever it is you want to do. Yeah. And they look to that effect. Your extensions look so natural. I wasn't even sure if you had them in or not. So they look <laughs> great. Is it ever challenging with quality control because it is hair? Yes, it could be extremely challenging. Luckily, my company was acquired by Beauty Industry Group, and they have an extremely rigorous process 
of all of the quality control for hair. It was really easy to manage hair, let's say up until $5 million a year, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, this is easy. And then as we expanded our product catalog, let's say from 100 SKUs to 500 SKUs and now 1,500 SKUs. Oh, wow. The complexity of that over the last decade has been mind blowing. I think that's been one of the biggest challenges is continuing to put quality first. And you have to really be on top of it. Like as you scale, you know, in the beginning of a business, you can watch your little 20 units come in. You're like, oh, yep. These are good. Great. But then you're like 200 units and 2000 units. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So um, quality is definitely interesting and you have to have a system and you have to build a really good relationship with the supplier, right? You have to require them. Like before I'm paying for this, I need to see video. I need to see, you know, production samples, top of production samples. I'm not paying for this until I see exactly the thousand units you just promised me. So I think it's about diligence and being on top of the suppliers and really making sure you have that relationship with them. I feel like suppliers, like for me, they never really tried to excuse my friends. Suppliers really never tried to bullshit me because they would fly to my office and they knew that I wore the product. So yeah. that for me, they're like, oh gosh, if we send them bad product, like she's going to know. Wow. So I guess they definitely uh, thought they couldn't pull one over you. So wait, let me get Sometimes this. Thing. they will. So if they are sending you, let's say a thousand products, you will have them send a video to ensure it's a thousand. Oh, yeah. I'll make them send videos. I'll make them send 10 samples before I pay for those thousand. You know, the sampling process is key. So yeah, it's definitely, it's a lot. And what if, you know, they send you a video and then you're not happy with the product? Like, what does that look like? Or fortunately you found the right partner. Oh, things go wrong all the time in business. I would imagine unexpected, you know, and really it's expect the expected because the expected (laughs) is things are never going to be perfect in any business and things do happen. Launches get delayed, especially post COVID, you know, like the supply chain is insane right now. So you have to build in that buffer into your business of like, if something goes wrong, you can't accept it. So now launch is going to be delayed by 60 days because guess what? You guys need to go back and remake this, but it builds respect with your suppliers long-term because they know you care about the product and that you're going to be on them. How challenging has it been to navigate post COVID e-commerce? It's definitely been a challenge. Things don't move as fast as they used to. For me, I'm in the beauty industry, right? So I like to move fast. I'm like, this is in, or we're going to bring this color to the market or, you know, this hairstyle is going to be in and we need to launch this and launches have just taken so long. I have a friend who's in the beauty industry as well. And she has a pretty big business. And she said the same thing. She said, Alex, our launch for this product is supposed to be six months. It's delayed a year and a half, you know? So that's been the hardest thing of dealing with the delays. Yeah, I'm sure. So let's talk about the process of getting acquired. I'm sure that was a very monumental moment in your life, perhaps a very emotional moment. Did you ever hesitate to sell or what was your thought process and what made it the right time, so to speak? Yeah. So for me, I never sought to be acquired. I was loving my business. I had seven figure profits at this point, to be honest with you. And I was living a great life. I'm running the company the way I want. I have no investors and I get to do what I want when I want. And, you know, I was making good money. So it was a really good time in my life. But I did have my first daughter at the time and she was three 
And I think when you have a kid, I feel like the first couple of years, you know, they're young and they're developing. You can get a really great nanny and get away with like working and putting your head down. But I feel like after that three and a half age is when they really start to talk and they need you and you have to be a little bit more present and have energy. And so this guy, he has this brilliant idea of creating like the L'Oreal for like extensions. And, you know, he came to me and he said, I I would like to acquire this company. And I said, no, thank you. Like, you know, he's like, please just have a meeting. So he came and he said, let's have a meeting. And we had a meeting with my accountant and I, and I said, you know what? I'm good. Thank you so much. I'm not interested. Long story short, after dealing with the stress of the company, getting beyond $10 million a year in revenue at that point in 2019, I was so stressed and I didn't know what I was doing. I've never worked a real job in my life, you know, besides like hourly retail jobs. Right. Yeah. So at that point, it was the stress of the business. And it was really, really, really me needing more knowledge of like, how the heck do you run an eight figure business? I don't know. And so, you know, they promised me that I could stay on a CEO, that I could continue to run and have the company go the way I envision. And they've held up on that promise for over three years, which has been fantastic. It was not an easy choice, but for me, it was just the right partnership, you know, the right amount of money. And I really, most importantly, needed to learn, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And you have to understand like when to charge forward and be confident or when to fall back and educate yourself and invest in that time to get to that next level. And so I knew after that point in 2019, the business was past $10 million a year in revenue. I said, you know what, it's time. Like I can either stop and go get my MBA and have someone run the company for two years and get investors, or I can just go get a real life MBA being a part of this almost now billion dollar corporation. So that's what I did. And and I still have no regrets. And, you know, it was a life changing moment, like you said. Yeah. I mean, as you scale, the operations can become a nightmare, even if you do know what you're doing. So let alone if it is, you know, your first job, essentially, it's very tricky. And in terms of the valuation that you got, which you definitely don't have to disclose figures, but was it like a standard, like, you know, 10 times EBITDA or was it based on future projections as well? Our deal was structured off of EBITDA and I can't obviously say what it was, but it definitely was something that was favorable more than the average and past that double digit multiple. That's great. Okay. So let's talk about color matching. Cause I'm very interested. I feel like that to me would seem to be the most challenging thing for consumers is like, what color is right for me? So how have you combated this challenge? That's a great question. So I like to say that glam seamless, a lot of the things we did was disrupt the extension industry, especially online. So what we've done is we give out free color rings essentially and free samples. So we have these free samples where you can just pay for the shipping for $5. You can get two samples for free. We mail it to you. You match your color to the ends and then you keep it and then we'll ship your hair or you can borrow one of our color rings. So yeah, that is the biggest barrier to purchasing extensions online. We also have hundreds of salon partners now around the U.S. and and quite frankly in the world. And we partner with these salon professionals and we sell them packages and they are our sales reps essentially like they have the color rings you can go to any of these salons on our salon locator and they will color match for you so there's multiple ways but how we've tackled it is going from you know offering free samples you could borrow our color ring that's great I, i didn't realize you could do that do you have two different teams like one team that manages the d2c side of the business and then another separate team that manages the wholesale side or are you a lean team 
It's definitely a lean team. We have one person that oversees B2B. We've never really prioritized the wholesale business, which I do feel is like such a missed opportunity that we're looking at incorporating over the next couple of years. But we have a lean team and we have two people actually that oversee our wholesale business. Digging into the evolution of the brand, does the brand look different today? Obviously, I would imagine than when it first started. And and what are some adjustments you've made that you're most proud of? Well, when I first started, I had no money, no web developers, no money to do photo shoots. And so everything was bought off of Adobe stock images and Shopify's free templates for websites. And it looked like a robot site. (laughs) And obviously today everything's custom. We've invested in everything from, you know, our photo shoots to our videos, to our website. Back in the day, our website was just so old and outdated had bright pink, you know, like a 212, like really bright pink color. And now we've moved into mauves and, and um, blush pinks. And so it's, it's, it's completely night and day. It's coming up on a decade. This October will be 10 years that I started it from my two bedroom apartment. And I always think to myself, thank you. And I always think to myself, like, what if I didn't? You know, like, what if I never did that? What if I didn't have the confidence? What if I, you know, didn't have the belief that this could be done? I'm just so grateful that I had, you know, it in me and I had the intuition to do it, not even from a financial perspective, but just a purpose perspective. I feel fulfilled and I feel happy that I don't work in a corporation you know, having to climb the ladder and compete with all these people. I just get to do what I love. And I think like that is so important, like trusting your intuition and taking a risk and betting on yourself. This is what, you know, gets you to where you want to be. Here's a fun fact. Over 81% of consumers are opted into text messages from their favorite brands. They're finding out first about limited time offers, new products, and they're having two-way conversations, all via text messaging. And that, my friends, is where Attentive comes in. Attentive is a personalized text messaging platform that lets you grow your SMS subscriber list, interact with customers in real time, and unlock a new source of revenue. With tons of best practices built in, Attentive makes sure your audience stays engaged too. Thousands of innovative brands like CB2, Pura Vida, and Coach have created magical customer experiences and driven millions in online revenue using Attentive-powered text messages. Meet your secret weapon to cut through the clutter, grow brand love, and drive more sales. Relevant, engaging, mobile first. That's Attentive. See what they can do for you at attentivemobile.com slash wavebreak. Attentive, drive sales with text message marketing. I think that's amazing. And I'm so happy you feel that way. As you've gained huge momentum and traction, what was it like adding to the team, growing a team? Maybe you want to touch on any points of challenges of that or just any growing things in general. Uh, you're laughing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm laughing because growing yeah. things are definitely part of the business. And if you don't have them, you're probably not growing really fast or yeah. you're probably playing it too safe. And so I'm laughing because I'm like, oh, those moments are so frustrating, but they also are the breakthroughs to the next level. So you can't have the breakthrough without, you know, the challenge. And so for me, scaling 
The hardest part has been building the team. You know, I think the workforce today is so different and people want different things and different expectations. And so it's been really challenging making sure to build a culture of accountability with freedom. The workforce is changing as we know it. And so I wanted to continue to be on the forefront of that while also still implementing like traditional ways of working. So I think that's been the hardest part. Obviously, post-COVID, everyone working from home, we used to have like a big office in New Jersey. We could all work together. We'd fly together. I think that's been a challenge. But I think the most important part has been scaling a team and really trying to give them a great place to work and make them feel free to create, to contribute, to strategize and be a part of the company and not just a job, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. I think it's such a delicate topic during this time, because like you said, it's like finding this happy medium between building that culture, accepting everybody, and then also making sure the work gets done. So having boundaries, but also expectations. It is tough. I will say that. And I I do know, like now they say it is the great resignation. And I know so many people that have quit their job that were in like great jobs. And I'm like, I don't know, I guess everyone thinks they'll just be their own free agent for companies. Cause I'm like, everyone can't have a company. So it's going to be interesting to see what the next decade looks like for the workforce. I know it's going to continue to change drastically. And I hope to be on the forefront of that. Yeah. And also going back to what you said in the beginning, right? Like, I think there's this like culture right now of everybody wants to be entrepreneurs, but I don't think everyone sees the glamorous side of it, but they don't see the miserable side of it. And not everybody can really stomach it. Like I'm sure there's been crazy challenges throughout your journey. And it's like, I feel like sometimes we really only focus on like the highlights as opposed to like the realities. And it's just being an entrepreneur, especially like at your level, like it's not only is it not for everybody, but like not everybody could do it. You know, even if all the stars align, perfect timing, perfect product, perfect team, it's still like extremely challenging and it takes a certain personality type for sure. So I I don't think that that something should be minimized like in your success. Like it's, this business isn't a huge reflection of, of you, you know? So Thank you. I think it was my hunger and drive of like having nothing growing up and combine that with a product or a business that you're passionate for. I feel like this is the key to success. But then, like you said, you have to be able to sustain the tough times of being an entrepreneur. It's incredibly challenging. I'm going to be honest with you. I worked seven days a week for seven years. I would go on vacation and work. I just now, even a year or two after my company got acquired, then I'm like, oh, I can go on vacation now. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard. So it it definitely takes uh, momentum. But if you have that passion for it, you know, it it will be a little bit more digestible. You know, (laughs) something that's amazing about your story is that you needed the product and like you love the product and then you were like an expert in the product but you were still like a normal great person it's not like just this celebrity that slapped their name on to like some brand like i'm sure that your story really resonated with customers probably more than sometimes you even realized you know like i don't really want someone sometimes with like perfect hair selling me extensions i don't feel like they quite understand the same or something to that effect so I'm sure the community has felt a connection towards you. Yes, I think that was the early days success of just really writing from that standpoint of like, all right, I have no money, but I still need my extensions. And this is how I get them. And this is how I make the most of them. And this is the best thing, how to care for extensions. This is the best thing. If you need extensions and you're on a budget, you know, I think you're right. That's a great point relating to them. It was the key. 
Yeah. And segueing into marketing, is that something that you've really tried to like, let's say even like in an email campaign and a welcome series, is that something you've really tried to convey to future customers? So they really feel like they resonate with you and the brand from the get-go or what's been the most effective marketing channel for you? Has it been social? For us, for the first couple of years, it really was organic traffic. Just writing those blogs, people were converting right away. You know, we weren't paying for traffic. We did move into paid media in year four, and we saw great success with that. Again, it was back in the day when all of the CPMs and the prices for ads were much, much lower than they are today. So it's a more difficult landscape today because there are so many businesses and so many av- people advertising. So I think our best channel continues to be, I would say social as well as organic traffic is key. Yeah. And I'm sure like consumers seeing the extensions on people on social media, I'm sure that's super effective. Have you found TikTok is really like the new channel that you're focusing on? I feel like that's what everybody's talking about as of late. Uh, I know. So TikTok is interesting. <laughs> I, know, I don't even have it. I'm like, I'm like, no, I'm like the Christina Aguilera, Brittany time. We're like the same age. Like I'm like trying not to become addicted to something else. So right. I feel like, right. it's- no, I, I see people personally and they're on the TikTok constantly scrolling and I'm like, Oh my God. So I do have a TikTok. Glam has a TikTok. And obviously you have to be there, right? You, I, you go to all the top visited sites in the world. TikTok is number one. I mean, this is proven yeah. data. TikTok is the most visited site now out of everything. So it goes to show you there's a lot of traffic there. I do think you can find new customers there. I think it's, it definitely should be implemented to a business strategy this day and age. But from a personal level, yeah. <laughs> it is incredible distracting and there's a lot of noise there. Yeah, totally agree. Let's talk about your foundation. I read a really amazing Forbes article written about you, but for anyone listening, who's not familiar with it, tell me about it. Yeah. So after my company was acquired, I just felt like extremely blessed and I felt like I didn't belong to be there. And I don't know if that's like a, a female feeling that we all feel, you know, but I'm just, wow. Like I just felt really grateful and I wanted to give back. I think, you know, I only got here because I was given an opportunity. My motto in life is lift as you climb. Like I had went on this journey and I had made it to the top, but you know, I really wanted to lift people to where I am and give people opportunities How I got here, like I said, was all about opportunity from the Milton Hershey School. So I decided that I was going to start a foundation focusing on women who were at a disadvantage in life, economically speaking, personally speaking. Really, it's the form of community. So obviously, my foundation, every year we give away $100,000 in business scholarships and grants. And it's obviously to fund their business, but most importantly, it's to create a community of support, of mentorship, to bring women together that are on the same journey that maybe didn't have a silver spoon in their mouth when they were born. So the Alexandra Christian Foundation is really about helping women come together, get an opportunity, get around the right people and the right mindset to help them get on their journey of wherever they want to go. Um, so each year we give out this uh, 50 scholarship. And we then bring in experts after. So after we don't just send a check, we host a six-month mentoring program after we bring in experts. So we'll bring in therapists, breathwork specialists, personal trainers, and we host mentoring for six months after with our recipients. So not only do they have, you know, their money to invest in their business or their education, they also have the accountability and community. That's key, you know, when it comes to any type of 
goal you have, if you want to be successful in that goal, you're going to have to have the community. You're going to have to have the support. And that's really what the foundation brings. That's amazing. How do you manage your time, maybe from a percentage perspective, or how do you manage in general, running the business, running the foundation, and then, you know, having a family? My time is so limited. It's definitely overwhelming. I'm not going to lie. For me, I have two great nannies. I'm not even going to lie. You know, I know like a lot of successful women, they don't really highlight the help that they have. Like, yes, Kim Kardashian is a billionaire and she has four kids. And Sarah Blakely is a billionaire and she has four kids. They don't ever tell you, you know, what's happening behind the scenes. And so for me, like, I'm like, women need to be more transparent about how they're doing it. They're taking a risk to have that help, whether it's a house cleaner once a week, whether they have great, healthy parents that are helping them with the kids, whether they have a stay-at-home husband, whatever it is, you know, people aren't talking about it. So I have two great nannies to help me because, you know, I, I have to make sure that my kids are good and they're entertained and they're healthy. And my nannies are like big sisters to them, like big sister mentors. So I, I, it starts with that. I have to make sure, you know, my kids are good. Then the rest of my time gets divided up into, a, you know, I don't know, probably 60 hours a week between all of it. It's, it's definitely a lot, but it fulfills me sitting around doing nothing kills me. So I had my first baby. I was running glam seamless by myself, obviously no maternity leave, no support, no nothing. And I was working. Right. So I'm like working in the hospital, working, 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 had no time to think about it. This time around, I got to sit around for eight weeks and I'm like, I was supposed to take a 12 week maternity leave. And I'm like, I'm so bored. Like, I really want to go back to work. Like I'm ready. Please don't make me sit here. But time management is so hard. It's definitely like you got to have the support. And when I was first growing Glam, I didn't really have the money for a newborn care specialist. But you know what I did? I took out a business loan and I used a portion of that to pay for a really great nanny to care for my baby. I think it's a risk. Yeah, it, it was a big risk. I look back and I'm like, how did I do this? Like, how did I power through? You have to invest in yourself and your family and make sure you're good. And I know sometimes it's very scary. Women are like, why would I pay money for a nanny when I make that much each month or whatever it is? And it's like, got to take the risk and put in the time to get to where you want to be. Time is very hard. It's, it's definitely challenging. I have a personal assistant and two nannies. And, you know, my mom recently moved to Los Angeles. So my mom is here and she helps me luckily, but it definitely takes a village. I bet. And you've taken a lot of risks. It's amazing. Uh, It's amazing even to hear the personal part too. So you're just a risk taker. I love it. Yeah. I'm an Aries. I don't know if that's a natural thing of an Aries. (laughs) It it sounds like it. (laughs) What advice, beauty or non-beauty would you give your younger self? Oh my goodness. Well, it's the advice that I took. Continue to invest in yourself. That's the advice I would have given to my younger self. Continue to invest, double down on you. You know, I took out student loans to pay for my time in New York. So I didn't have to work as many part-time jobs. I took out a business loan at some point to pay for my nanny so I can keep growing the business. I paid for conferences, Tony Robbins, coaching, like as much as you can do to continue to invest in you. That's the advice I would give. If I could give a little extra, a second piece of advice, which I know you didn't ask me, but I'd love to give advice I would give to my younger self and and still my current self and women out there can let things go. Like when they're not working, like try, 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 but at some point you've got to cut dead weight in your life. And I know that's hard, but you've got to let go of certain things to get ascended to the next level and get what it is you're after. 
And when you say that, what do you mean exactly? I'm just curious. Oh, I mean everything. <laughs> Friendships okay. that aren't working, yeah, family right. ties that are toxic, relationships that aren't working, yeah. jobs that you hate. You know, there are situations we all find ourselves in and, you know, it's like, we're mulling over like, oh, this isn't sitting right. It's not sitting right. And it's like we force and we force and we force. And it's like, you know, I'm not saying don't work on things, right? Like, don't be a quitter. See it through. See it through different angles. But like at a certain point when certain things aren't working, you've got to know when to hold them and when to fold them. And I think that's been part of my success as well. It's just like, you know, this isn't working. And I've tried and tried and tried. And like, I've got to cut this off here because it's weighing me down. So I think that's my personal little advice I would give people. Yeah, I think that's great advice. You seem so like pragmatic with your time and your energy. I feel like it's not remotely surprising that you are where you are. It's amazing. And I think that's great advice. And I think honestly, that's the hardest advice for most people to take because you feel guilty or whatever else. And it's hard to continue a journey like this. And also people react differently to it. Yeah. What do you mean react differently? (laughs) I mean, I would imagine some friends or family or relationships probably didn't like your success, particularly as it snowballed. You know, fundamentally, you're probably the same person, but you're probably a pretty different person today than you were 10 years ago. Um, And maybe a little bit less relatable sometimes, but I think that's phenomenal advice. It's not remotely surprising to anybody. You are exactly where you are. So yeah, we've got to be very conscious of our time and energy. And I think, I do think that is part of the reason why I got here. And it's hard and you'll cry in certain jobs. I quit an internship, you know, at NBC Universal, because I'm like, this is wasting my time. Like they had me sitting on a couch sorting magazines. And I'm like, two weeks in, I'm still sorting magazines. I'm out. I quit. Yeah. I quit NBC Universal. Great organization. But like, for me, I knew my time was better out spent somewhere. And that's what I mean when I say let go of the dead weight, let go of the things that really aren't bringing you anything. You know, intuitively, mm-hmm. you know, if this is going to work for you or not. Me, because I shine through my work and not my personality. Like most people, what I think you shine through your personality too. <laughs> I think your personality shines a lot, actually. Thank you. But like in a group environment, like a work yeah. setting, I'm definitely very quiet. I'm more of an introvert, believe it or not. So like wow. in a group setting, like like an internship at NBC, where there's several interns, like I'm a very quiet person. I'm more like you know, put your head down and do the work. Like let's make something happen. So it's just like, you know, that is one example of knowing when to let go of something. Because if I would have stayed my whole semester there, I would have wasted so much time and energy and got nothing in return. You've got to know yourself as well. You have to be self-aware to be successful. Like, what am I good at? What am I not good at? And just be honest about it. Don't apologize. I don't apologize that I'm not an ask kisser. I don't apologize that I'm not the extrovert of a group. I'm not going to do that. You know, so I think that's what led me here you know, I, I quit that internship. And for most people, they wouldn't have quit that internship. I quit mine too. Did <laughs> you? Yeah. I, I had an internship at one of the biggest PR firms in New York. And it was like the way everybody, not just myself was treated was appalling. And I was like, I'm out. And then actually one of the clients of the PR firm, and I ended up working for them because it was just such a better experience. Oh, um, but yeah, it was the same thing. I was like, this is not only wasting my time, it was costing me so much money to get there. I was like, I'm yes. out. So your real bosses <laughs> make moves. I love that. See? And look, look at you doing your own thing. You have this amazing pocket. Like, look, this, this is the key. You've got to know when to go. And it's hard. It's yeah, super hard. It's, hard. it's agonizing moments like that, leaving jobs, relationships, certain situations. 
it's gut-wrenching, but you've got to have the faith and you've got to take the action to know that everything's going to be okay. And I think a great point you made as well is it's like, okay, so you know what you're good at and people will always be like, if they think you're, you know, arrogant or pompous about what you're good at. But I also think being really self-aware is also being aware of what you're not good at. For example, it took us 20 minutes how to start this podcast because of my microphone. So (laughs) we know what I know very well what I'm not good at. So I think it's really important to be really honest with yourself and just very aware emotionally of everything that goes on in your life. So. I think that's a great point. So what's next for you and the brand? Oh my goodness. Well, Glam Seamless, like I said, we're going in our 10th year of business. So we're continuing to dominate and scale in this industry. Just continuing to bring the best hair extension solutions to all type of people, not just women, men, women, and in between. So we're continuing to do that. Glam will continue to be a leader within the extension space and continue to bring great quality hair. For me personally, I will be continuing on with my nonprofit foundation. I'm also writing a book and creating a community self-made boss babes. Oh, I love that. Which we are forming just a safe space to come together. Women that have their own goals of starting their own company or, you know, a side hustle or scale loan company. I am creating this community self-made boss babes for women that are looking for resources to, you know, get ahead in life, whatever that looks like for them. So that's what I'll be focusing on is, you know, my book, my nonprofit and, my new community self-made boss babes. That's amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today. I loved speaking with you. For anyone who wants to find out more information on yourself and Glam Seamless, where can I direct them? Glamseamless.com and The Real Alexandra Kristen on Instagram. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. Be sure to leave a review and subscribe to all future episodes. For show notes and resources mentioned, go to glamandgrow.co. This show is produced by Wavebreak. If you're an e-commerce marketing leader who wants to take your email and CRM program to the next level, schedule a call with me today at wavebreak.co. Thanks so much for listening.